Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. I've been asked to speak on the subject of rest with a particular slant towards Sabbath. Uh, And to that end, I want to return to a passage that uh, Owen opened up a couple of weeks ago, uh, famous words of Jesus about rest in Matthew chapter 11. Uh, And we're going to pick it up in verse 25. It says this, Matthew 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, Thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father and no one truly knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of these verses. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly. Does that sound appealing to any of you? I'm hearing some yeses. Are there any of you interested in experiencing this real deep, genuine, lasting rest. Show of hands, anyone like, if you've got the energy to raise your hands. Uh, Almost unanimous in the room. So, that being the case, I want us to take a little closer look at what Jesus is actually saying in this passage. Really, Jesus is putting a very simple contrast in front of us. There are two key ideas here. Firstly, The world around us, the culture, by default, has a blindness to the wisdom of God. That's why Jesus says, Father, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever. And so we're not going to gain this wisdom that Jesus is talking about here from the world around us. If you listen to the wisdom of the world, if you listen to secular wisdom, it's just going to burn you out. Which kind of sets up the second key idea here. Namely, that the secret wisdom of God 
is simply learning to rest in Jesus, which in turn will lead to a way more fruitful life. However, if we choose, for whatever reason, to ignore this teaching and instead insist on just going the way of the world, following the culture all around us, the church will be characterised by burden, burnout and compromise. And right up front, I want to say this as clearly as I can. I don't think that Jesus is glorified or seen as being beautiful or desirable if his followers are just exhausted and full of stress and worn out in the exact same way as the world. I mean, have you ever spoken to someone who is hyper-stressed out and really busy and not sleeping at night and you've come out of that conversation and you've thought to yourself, I'd love to have their life. I just really want what they've got. I don't think so. Look, Jesus isn't glorified by unhappy exhausted, stressed, burnt-out people. You know, I think one of the most important aspects of spiritual warfare for us is simply learning to live in a rhythm of rest in a culture that won't allow us to rest. That's a battle for us. It's a fight for us. And we do this by examining the yoke on our life. Uh, just to say, uh, for those who are slightly puzzled by this, not talking about eggs at this point, uh, Owen didn't see fit to point that out. I was slightly confused listening. I, I had images of my breakfast eggs. But a yoke, as Owen did explain, is this kind of wooden cross piece that fastened over the necks of two animals and attached to the plough or the cart they were pulling. And so it's a picture, it's an image, it's a metaphor for the weight that you're carrying. And so, before we get further into this, I just want to give you a moment to reflect honestly on your life right now. How are you? I know that's a question, a number of people ask me that question when I walked in. I mean, where do you start after the two years we've just had? But how are you? How's it really going? In all honesty, can you bear the load that you're carrying right now? Can you sustain the way you're living for another 10, 20, for some of us, 30 years? Or are you thinking, I just don't know how much longer I can do this? I don't know, if you were to imagine the state of your soul, kind of like the power bar on your phone, and 100% is what Jesus describes as life to the full. You're just brimming over constantly with more and more love and joy and peace and generosity and full attention to the moment, to God and to your family and to the people around you and yes life might be hard and it might be full of challenges 
but it's still good. There is still this ease, this lightness about you. That's life to the full. Zero percent is just complete burnout. It's being signed off work with stress. It's frequent suicidal thoughts. I want to be honest. Where would you put yourself on that scale right now? Now here's the thing. I don't think many of us rest until we get kind of way down to 20% or less. We, we don't rest until we have to, until we are forced to. And then most of us don't rest very well. We, we kind of confuse rest with entertainment or with distraction. And most of us don't rest very long. And so most of the time we just kind of creep up to 40% or 50% or if we're doing really well, 60%. We're, we're just about solvent. We can just about face showing up at work tomorrow morning. We, we hover around the just about manageable level. But all the time what we're missing out on is life to the full. A joyful, happy life. A sense of peace. A sense of generosity and gratitude and contentment. We miss out on all the stuff that Jesus has for us. My point is that without rest, we simply cannot be the people that Jesus has in mind for us to be. We cannot live the life that Jesus freely, graciously has on offer. And so, we've got to keep examining the yoke that we're carrying. We, we need to find a way to overcome this kind of constant, insidious restlessness of our culture and find a way somehow to tap into the true rest that Jesus is offering us here. And so, all of that by way of introduction, for the remainder of this talk, I simply want to look with you at one very specific practice that helps us do this. If you read on in Matthew, you'll see that the very next section, after the one we've just read, after Jesus promises rest for your souls and speaks of his yoke being easy to bear and his burden being light, the very next section, if you just scan down, is not one, but two stories about the Sabbath. And I don't think that's a coincidence. Matthew, the author, I think wants us to connect the dots between Jesus' open invitation, find rest for your souls, and the Sabbath. Because the two things go together. Now, this word Sabbath, it literally, basically, effectively means to stop. That's what it means. The Sabbath is simply a day to stop. Stop working. More than that, stop wanting. More than that, stop worrying. Just stop 
and rest. You know, sometimes a picture is worth a thousand words. Just try and think of the pictures that come to us through advertising all around the city right now on billboards and on the sides of buses and in magazines that pop up on your phone all the time. Almost all the images, unless they're for a car or for alcohol, most of the images are of stopping. Uh, they're, they're pictures of people lying on a beach or lounging on a sofa or lying in bed watching a 100-inch TV with Egyptian cotton sheets and fresh coffee on the go. It's like the advertisers know that you ache for this and you don't have it. They know that you're tired and you're busy and you're stressed out and you don't have this. But here's the irony. They then offer to sell it to you and so you have to work harder to earn the money to get the aspirational lifestyle that they're presenting to you. But the crazy part is, you don't need to buy anything. You, you don't need to keep reinventing your life. You don't need to work harder and harder and harder. You, you don't need to be rich. You just need to receive the Sabbath for what it is. It's a gracious, free, kind gift from your loving, heavenly Father. I think it's probably fair to say at least some of us aren't good at doing this or else Owen wouldn't have asked me to speak on this subject this morning. To quote one author, A.J. Swoboda, he says, Sabbath has been largely forgotten by the church, which has uncritically mimicked the rhythms of the industrial and success-obsessed West. The result? Our road-weary, exhausted churches have largely failed to integrate Sabbath into their lives as vital elements of Christian discipleship. It's not as though we don't love God. We love God deeply. We just don't know how to sit with God anymore. It makes sense that commandment number four of the ten is remember the Sabbath. Why? Because we're prone to amnesia. We forget, and often we forget the things that matter the most. I would argue that celebrating the Sabbath is something we desperately need to remember especially against the backdrop of the restlessness in the world all around us right now. So, I want us to get really practical. How do we actually learn to do this in real, everyday life? Because we're not going to default to doing it, are we? It, it requires us doing something intentional. So, how do we do this? Well, very quickly, I want to unpack four elements to effectively celebrate the Sabbath. And you wouldn't believe how much time I wasted trying to come up with four words that spelt out the word rest. 
but in fact, I couldn't do it. And so um, I've got four words that spell out a non-word, cref. Um, so I'm sorry, I tried really hard, but ceasing, renewing, embracing, feasting. Rather than manipulating those words to say something completely different, I'm just going with those words. So first of all, ceasing. Way back in 1793, uh, over the channel in France, in an attempt to improve human productivity, they modified the calendar. They moved from a seven-day week to a 10-day week. But as you can probably tell, because that hasn't caught on, the experiment radically failed. Uh, they analyzed what was happening, and they found that suicide rates rocketed, people burnt out, and actually production levels decreased. Why? Well, it turns out, funnily enough, that human beings weren't designed to work nine days before resting. We were made, we were designed, we were wired to work for six days and rest on the seventh. Now, here's the thing. Your boss probably isn't going to forcibly stop you working. And so, you need to take control and actively cease working one day a week. A lady called Martha Dawn, in her book on Sabbath, says this. On the Sabbath, we deliberately remember that we have ceased trying to be God and have instead put our lives back in his control. Concentrating on God's lordship in our lives enables us to return to his sovereign hands all the things that are beyond our control and are terrifying us. Once those things are safely there, and as long as we don't stupidly take them back again, our emotions can find truly comforting and healing rest. Now look, I think if we're going to pull this off, we probably, all of us, need to put some boundaries in place, don't we? Like, if I acknowledge that God is sovereign and he really is in charge, then I think probably, perhaps, maybe, one day a week, I don't need to take that call or I'm not going to check my emails. In fact, I'm not even going to think about work. Spoiler an aside, there is a significant body of scientific research that suggests that even thinking about work releases many of the same chemicals that produce stress when we actually work. And so we've got to find a way to learn how to cease. And the goal of ceasing is so secondly, we renew ourselves. Sabbath is so much more than merely taking a day off so you can finally get around to completing all the chores you didn't have time for the rest of the week. Eugene Peterson calls that, uh, excuse the language here, the bastard Sabbath. It's the illegitimate child of God's true intention for Sabbath. And so the Sabbath isn't a day to just get all your other jobs done. Or even 
just to relax. It's actually all about renewing yourself on every level, spiritually, emotionally, physically, mentally. You know, watching an entire season of our favorite show on Netflix while eating Domino's pizza might be amazingly relaxing, but it won't restore your soul. You're not coming out of there probably like, my destiny is being released. I'm so much closer to God. You're not being renewed into the best version of yourself. In the words of a friend of mine, you are merely medicating your mediocrity. Jesus, all the time, wants us to live from a position of renewal, not just relaxation. And if we get this right, what we'll find is it will affect the rest of our life. As Walter Brueggemann puts it, people who learn to take Sabbath actually live all seven days differently. But for that to happen, thirdly, there are some truths we need to embrace. For starters, Sabbath is a scheduled weekly reminder that we are not what we do. Rather, we are who we are loved by. That's what Sabbath does for us, is we intentionally focus on Jesus, as we have been doing this morning. We, we get our ambition, our fear, our confusion converted into security. Sabbath is a time where we get our, our broken identity changed by embracing Jesus' finished work for us. You know, I think one of the reasons why maybe we find it hard to rest is we're still constantly trying to prove ourselves and feel good about ourselves and establish our identity. And you don't need me to tell you that just gets exhausting. But all the time, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, it speaks in a profoundly different way to us. It says, you are already held in the highest regard by the highest being. You know what that means? I don't need your approval to feel good about myself anymore. I don't need anything beside Christ to get an identity. Because if he's on my side, who cares about the opinions of others? And so I can rest, because Christ is my identity. And until you get that, no amount of holidays or leisure pursuits or Egyptian cotton sheets or fine coffee are going to work for you. Because your body might be resting, but your soul is still in turmoil. And all the time, that's what's causing most of your restlessness and exhaustion. Listen. When your soul isn't at rest, holidays and days off aren't rest. They're just distractions. They're just an escape. They're like a drug. They, 
cover it up for a little while, but eventually when you know you need to go back to work, you can feel that inner turmoil and anxiety and that tightness in your chest building up again because your soul isn't at rest. The good news of the gospel is that Christ and Christ alone can provide you with deep, genuine, lasting inner rest. He's given you a new identity in him as a dearly loved son or daughter of God. And so, without Christ, you'll work even while you're resting. But with Christ, you can rest even while you're working. And so Sabbath, it involves ceasing our work so we can be renewed at the deepest level as we embrace the truth of the gospel and resolve on a weekly basis to live in the good of it. And then fourthly and finally, we get to feasting. In the Jewish community, this is where the Domino's pizza comes in, feasting. In the Jewish community, I saw some nudges, like you can't eat pizza anymore. This is full permission to eat as much pizza or whatever else you want. There are certain foods in Jewish community that they only eat on the Sabbath. They save them all up for the Sabbath. There are certain songs they sing on the Sabbath. There's even a rabbinic teaching that if you're married you should have sex on the Sabbath. They they basically try and turn this 24-hour period into a time of delight. Don't know if you've heard of it, but there's a psychological principle called pleasure stacking, where you save everything and then pile it all up into one overwhelming experience of joy, food and drink and relationships and music. This is what you do on the Sabbath. Now I think when we enjoy the Sabbath in a life-giving way, when we cease and renew and embrace God and feast on all his good gifts to us, when we take in beauty and hope and peace and pleasure and the life of God, and we're effectively developing antibodies that will help us fight the false promises of our culture that look so alluring, but only deliver death. As John Altberg puts it, we must arrange life so sin no longer looks good to us. Which is why Sabbath needs to be right at the centre of our week. Something we plan for, a day of delight, a day that replenishes us, not merely something we tack on at the end if we remember. No, it's a complete reorientation of the way we live. You remember the passage in Exodus 33, where God promises Moses that his presence will go with him. Exodus 33, verse 14, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you. What does he say next? I will give you rest. When the presence of God comes, rest comes. And isn't that 
what our city really needs right now. For all those around us who are exhausted and restless and burnt out and barely able to keep going, the offer of the rest-giving presence of God is surely incredibly good news. And so, as a church, we need to be people who model this, who show that there is a way to truly rest. I mean, if we manage to apply this message to our lives and are transformed at the deepest level from exhaustion to rest, people are going to notice, aren't they? And when they ask what our secret is, which inevitably they will, we then get an opportunity to introduce them to the person of Jesus, who's the source of our rest, and the way of Jesus, which is this magnificent rhythm of rest. All of which is great in theory. Excuse my cynicism, but I reckon at least some of us are going to file this away, think, good message, challenging, but in reality, I'm not going to do anything about it. And so I'm going to finish this off, if that's okay, by quickly dealing with just a few questions or issues that you may have in your mind to do with this subject, and then we're done. First of all, some of you might be thinking, what about legalism? Yeah, you can be legalistic about anything. That the Pharisees in the New Testament, they proved there's a way to practice religion that is very, very destructive. My response? So don't do that. The Sabbath is a gift. Enjoy it. Receive it with grace. Second question. What about the New Covenant? Surely we're under grace, not law. My response? Okay. Well... Just ignore this message then. To your own peril. You don't have to enjoy God's gracious, kind provision of Sabbath if you don't want to. I'm not here to force you or twist your arm to do anything you don't want to do. Next question gets a little more practical. Uh, three questions that then I really am done. Next question. What if I work shifts and my work schedule is really sporadic? That's fine. I just say, do what you can do. Start at the point you're at. Really, anything is better than nothing. It's okay to be flexible. Just set aside different days around your shifts. It doesn't have to be the same day every week. What if I'm really busy at work, have some big deadlines coming up? I understand this message actually is gonna be hard for many of us to apply. But think about it. Jesus Christ was the saviour of the world. And if he, in the midst of being the saviour of the world, still managed to carve out the time to practice Sabbath, I might have got this wrong, but I'm guessing probably there is a way for you, because you're not the saviour of the world, to manage it in your busy schedule too. Really, what it comes down to is a question of faith. Are you willing, in faith, to down tools when there's the pressure to keep going, in faith that God will keep working when you stop working? Final question. 
what if I've got young children? I mean, life is crazy. I'd love to rest, but it feels impossible right now. Now look, I've been there. Uh, I've lost my hair to prove it. I admit this can be tough. Uh, and I know it might seem completely unrealistic in the season you're in right now. But the time for Sabbath is always now and never later. Because there will always be a reason why it's going to be hard or impractical. It's a lie to think there's coming a time when everything will suddenly get easier. You can ask some of the older members of the church whether that time comes. They'll probably say, no, it never comes. Yeah, there are seasons of life. Yes, you need to be incredibly gentle with yourself at certain stages. Yes, it's particularly challenging when your children aren't sleeping through the night, and that can come when they're young and when they're a bit older as well. But that doesn't mean you don't need Sabbath or can't do it. In fact, I'd argue it makes it even more essential. And so all that being said, please don't procrastinate or delay or put this off to an easier day that will probably never come. The time is now. Wherever you're at, whatever it looks like, whatever your personality, whatever your stage of life, Sabbath is this wonderful gift from God to you intended to bring you rest. At the end of the day, I'm not here to spew a load of laws and rules for you and then leave you. No, I'm here to give you a vision. I simply want to invite you to seriously think through what it looks like in your context and then live in the good of it and enjoy it.